Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, and the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, my guest is Chuck Wentworth. Wentworth produced the Rhythm and Roots Festival that happened annually at Ninigret Park in Charleston over Labor Day weekend. Chuck recently announced that this year's festival was canceled and he would cease to present the festival. In this episode, Wentworth explains the reason behind this hi chuck hey john how's it going all right how are you good doing well so let's talk about the big news you canceling rhythm and roots yeah yeah what happened was uh last year at, at the festival i woke up saturday morning not feeling too well uh, my wife deb took a look at me and said hey you know there's something wrong here so she called over the ambulance that we have on site and they determined I was having an episode of AFib. Uh, my blood pressure was 75 over 45, and I had an irregular heartbeat. So they were concerned about that and the possibility of having a stroke. So they threw me in an ambulance and took me to the hospital, and uh, I stayed there. Subsequently visited a few doctors, cardiologists, and so forth, and they all informed me that, that their feeling was that it was all brought on by stress. And, you know, putting the vessel on creates a lot of stress. I know that so, <laughs> from yeah. doing my own. So, <laughs> sure you do. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I had all intentions of coming back in, in 2022. I actually went ahead, booked a lineup, and started working on logistics. And then I started running into a, a variety of problems um, with the uh, well, 10 company went out of business. I had a couple of people in our senior staff retire. And I could feel the stress starting up again. So I decided that the best thing to do was to step away at this point. Well, you, you do have to look for your health first and foremost. I mean, that's that's the most important thing. And, and I know from having experienced your setback last year and, and witnessing that, it was, it was not a, a fun thing to see you go through that. And, you know, it's, it's, nobody should have to go through that. Nobody should have to deal with the amount of stress that you dealt with. So... It's uh, it it's it's a tough thing, and it's you know, you're you're not a kid. I mean, you're not particularly ancient, but you're not a kid. Well, thank you, thank you for that backhand compliment. <laughs> well, you know, that's the what I'm best at, Chuck. Is especially with you, is backhanded compliments. Sure, kicking me when I'm down. I I get it. <laughs> um, you know, it it really sucked in the fact that you know I had prepared for this festival for two years and never got to experience it. Right. And by all reports from, from, you know, everybody I talked to afterwards, that they said it was a great festival last year. It was. And, it actually was. Well, it just proved to me that you could put on a great festival without me being there. So it made me feel kind of obsolete. Well, no, because the thing couldn't happen without you because you were the one who basically brought it to the point the rest of the crew just drove it on the site. You, I mean, you brought the vehicle of the festival to Ninigret Park, and and the crew just put it into pilot mode. And if you hadn't gotten it to where it was at, it would never have happened. I mean, that's, well, I, that's the reality. I'm, I'm really proud of the staff, because I, I, you know, everybody who was in a position of responsibility stepped right up, took over. You know, they they didn't need my guidance. They all knew what they were doing. And and I'm really proud that, that they pulled it off. Well, now you're making yourself sound obsolete. Well, 
That's, that's part of the way I felt. But, uh, well, you're far from obsolete, but it's it's totally understandable why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, like I said, health comes first and family. Those are the things you have to work out and deal with because you want to have a long life, life ahead of you. You don't want to just look back at, uh, well, I did this and, you know, I might get an extra year out of this, but you, you want to be around. You've got a lot of grandkids and kids and you want to be around for a while and you don't want something shortening that that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm 71 this year and, and, you know, that was under a lot of consideration as well. You know, what am I going to do with the time that I have left? Um, but the thing is, I mean, there is a good possibility that rhythm and roots may happen this coming Labor Day weekend. Um, I've got the festival for sale right now. Uh, I had about a, or, well, about seven or eight of them. I just uh, dismissed immediately. You know, I, I knew that the people involved weren't serious or, or really didn't know what they were doing. But I've, I've narrowed it down to about five different uh, individuals or groups. And we're having some serious discussions right now. And hopefully by the end of next week, I'll have a good idea of who I choose. And uh, I've agreed to stay on as a consultant and, and help out whoever whoever takes it over. And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's a really good bet that something will happen this year. Without giving up names, are the people local? Uh, yes, they are. Okay. That, um, they're a... all local. There's, there's a group from New York and there's a group from New Orleans but the rest are all local. Because that was the thing I liked about this festival. It was run entirely by local folks. And that, you know, that really made it a hometown festival. And Rhode Island tends to be proud of things that we produce here. So. Well, that's, that's the direction I'm leaning towards. You know, there, there's a couple of really good um, options of, of folks right here in the state. And, and I'm leaning in that direction. Well, speaking from my personal point of view, I, I would love to see it go to a local person because it's, you know, we're a little state and we, we're proud of what we produce and we can do just about anything here. And it, when you bring in outside people, it tends to muddy the waters a bit. And I've experienced that too. And it, it just, the, the Rhythm and Roots crew is a family. And when you introduce different variables into it, it could make for a dysfunctional family we don't want to we don't want to wind up that way no no and one of the main considerations that i've got uh is that i've got 23 years invested in rhythm and roots and there's a certain legacy that goes with that um you know rhythm and roots has a great reputation um it's it's the type of festival that artists want to come to that we've got such a great support from the public. I mean, when I when I announced cancellation, I probably did over a thousand responses from people through email and Facebook comments. And most of the people were understanding, you know, with my health issues, but a lot of them, most of them expressed some, some feeling of loss. You know, the folks that have come to this festival have kind of taken on the attitude that it's their own event. You know, they're, they're that invested in, in what we've done with the Rhythm and Roots. Well, so, it is a family event. I mean, there are generations that have come that, I mean, there I, I know of kids that, well, your, your, your grandkids and your kids have grown up at the festival. That's true. I mean, I've witnessed, I've witnessed kids who've come in as, you know, single-digit kids and are now in their 
20s and you know they're working at the festival or they've been coming to the festival and they're coming to the festival with their friends now instead of their parents and it's just it's a generational thing that's happened well that that's one thing i saw you know i was there friday night this you know at the last event right and i started to see a lot of younger people at the show and that that to me created some optimism that that we were turning things around and um getting to a younger demographic which is needed for the growth of the festival and to keep it going right so i saw some indications of that and uh i was glad to see that happening right it's just you know some folks get married to other festivals we won't go into those festivals but i mean rhythm and roots festival is a true rhode island festival it's a rhode island entity and it's it's the heart of Rhode Island. It's actually, you know, it's produced by Rhode Islanders. A lot of Rhode Islanders come, but people come from far away to that festival. They come from all over New England and beyond to come to that festival. Yeah, there was one year we did a survey and we had people from 32 different states come to the show. So, you know, that tells tells us it had a, had a significant reach. Right. And then not only that, you get the experience of the camping. You get, I mean, the, one of the big things about this festival was the after hours jamming. That that was huge to a lot of people. That doesn't happen at other festivals. This happens at this festival because you're allowed to camp. You spend three, four days there and people stay up all hours of the night playing, playing music and jamming. And they look forward to that from year to year. I wouldn't know about that because I was in bed. <laughs> Well, speaking from people I know, they look forward to the jamming part. They spend hours in the campground all day, and and you know they stay, sit around campfires all night. It's it's very much like Kerrville, where people sit around the campfire and pass around guitars and uh, play songs and pick and you know all kinds of players from all over the place show up and you drive around that campground at night and it's music and it's not recorded music. It's live music being played right then and there. Yeah, I think I experienced some of that when I was younger. But the, the last bunch of years, when the last band played and the show was over, I'd go crawl into my RV and, and head right to sleep. Well, I, the only reason I know is because I've given a lot of people rides for the golf cart. I went up spending hours driving around artists back to their campgrounds, and they'd be I'd be pulling up, and there'd be a ton of people around the campground, and they're all jamming, and they couldn't wait for them to get their instruments out and play, and... You know, a lot, yeah. of the, a lot of the performers from the main stages and, you know, they would go and jam with everybody in the in the campground. They, you know, there was no hierarchy of stuff. People just would jam with anybody. If you had an well, instrument, that, they jammed. Yeah, that's one of the things that made, made the festival special is that, you know, I mentioned earlier, the artists really liked coming to the show. And, and they were invested, too. They they took it on as, as something they felt comfortable with and, and they felt, just like getting out there and mingling with with the fans and and there was a lot of the barriers came down you know where other festivals you got fencing in front of the stage and you know there's like a line that divides the audience from from the performers but at rhythm and roots the, the performers would come out and they'd go to the meet and greet in the uh in the cd booth they'd get out and they'd go visit the food vendors and, and they'd be out there in the crowd and and to me that that was a a good thing well a lot of them would spend the entire weekend they wouldn't just come in and play and leave like they do at other festivals they come and they stay for the whole weekend because they enjoy it just as much as the rest of the people well that, that's what i'm hoping that you know whoever decides to, to come in and take this over 
that they continue on with the traditions that we've established over the years and they respect the community that that's been built up as well well that's important I mean, that's extremely important well that's that's it i mean we our catchphrase the last few years is you know we're trying to keep the vibe alive right right and and that that's the vibe that that has made the festival what it is i mean people can come in really kick back relax but and hear some great music go dance go eat some food um go to workshops it, it's it's all there and and it, it makes for a great overall experience why don't you take me back to the, the beginnings of your early beginnings of how you even established this festival, your beginnings back at Escohag, how all of this transpired. Why don't you give us the history? Because I'm sure a lot of people don't know this and would like to know where all of this came from. For me, my, my entry into the music world began in 1978 when I got involved with WRIU. Um, I took over the Monday night slot and became the the folk and roots music director so i i jumped into music well actually i was i was on on track to get my master's degree i i finished all the coursework and started work on a thesis and then uh music came in and put me in another direction so i i started off at wriu and i got involved in cajun and bluegrass in 1981 and worked my way through that and took over the booking and took care of the logistics and built upon that uh, to a point where I was doing about eight festivals a summer or, or through the late spring into the early fall and traveling across the country putting on festivals. As, as things progressed, I slowly began to cut back um, and got to the point where I, I think it was uh, we established Rhythm and Roots. I was working with Mary Daub of the Great Fox Bluegrass Festival, and we formed a partnership and put the festival on. And then about 2014, she decided that it was it was too much to be doing two festivals a year. You know, it is she was getting on an age just like I was. So we both decided, you know, let's just kind of split it up, and she'll just do Great Fox, and I'll do Rhythm and Roots. And, um, you know, I took it over completely at that point and put my own stamp on it and it's been going going great since then well it started off as the cajun and zydeco festival at stepping stone correct cajun and bluegrass cajun and bluegrass okay and what year did that start 1981 now how did you come about starting that festival there well i've, I've worked with with franklin zawacki he's actually the person who founded that festival and he brought me in in 1981 to work with him on publicity and and help with with running of the festival and and doing a variety of, of different jobs there a couple of years later i took over the booking and logistics of that festival really worked with him hand in hand up until 1997. is that when you switched it to rhythm and roots yeah yeah frank got out of the business in 97. i had been friends with mary and i had called her and said well looks like the festival's done and she said, well, you know, hold on a bit. Let's let's talk about keeping it going. And so we did. We did one year at Escahee and found that that wasn't going to work for us. And we moved from there to Ninigrit Park in 98 and established it there. And it just took right off. Again, you had the Mardi Gras ball for many years, but you used to do some dances at a Holy Ghost. Uh, what was the name? Yeah. What was the name of that? Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost Brotherhood Hall. All right, so it's the Holy Ghost in uh, East Providence is where the Mardi Gras ball started, right? 
That's how no. that, that's well. That's where the seeds of it were planted. Well, yeah, we uh, we started doing dances at the Holy Ghost Brotherhood Hall in the, the mid nineteen eighties, and those dances would run September through May. And we brought in a lot of great people. Uh, Queen Ida was probably our biggest attraction. She really drew a lot of people in for us. Uh, Steve Riley, of course, would come. Dewey Balfa played a number of times. Uh, some great Zydeco with Buzu Chavis, uh, Bo Jacques, Gino Delafos. Now, we, we had virtually anybody who was anybody in there. Uh, Mark and Anne Savoie came up and played. And we didn't just do the dances. We did two shows a month. Uh, we'd do, do the Cajun and Zydeco dance in the beginning of the month. And then we'd do a bluegrass or Americana concert um, at the end of the month. And we had people like Allison Krauss come and play at the Holy Ghost Hall. Uh, Hot Rise, Pony Rice Unit used to play. They played a couple of times. So that really kept us busy. And it was great. I mean, we'd usually fill the hall over there. And we'd get four or 500 people into that place. And uh, had a lot of great shows. Now, how did the Mardi Gras Ball come about? I got involved, and I think it was the Learning Connection really? in Providence, years ago i used to teach for them yeah they they wanted to um sponsor a trip down to, to the cajun mardi gras in in eunice and, and you know just on the outskirts of lafayette i put that trip together and we drew maybe about a dozen people from up here in new england who went down with with me and i kind of acted as a tour guide for all these people and took them out to the cajun mardi gras and did that for about three or four years and it got to the point where it started to get more and more popular and i said what the hell am i doing you know <laughs> being being a tour guide sucks i don't want to do this and then i came up with the idea i said well instead of bringing people to mardi gras i'll, I'll bring mardi gras to the people in new england so uh, i was working with atr treehouse quite a bit and working with bill murray over there and dave laporte and we talked it out. We decided, hey, let's go to Rhodes on the Patuxent and, and put together a show there. And the first time we did it, you know, I think I can't remember. I think we brought up Steve Riley and a couple of other bands. We, you know, we'd always have three bands from Louisiana. And we drew over a thousand people the first time we did it. So, I, you know, I stumbled onto something. What year was that? Do you remember? What year? Yeah. Oh, no idea. <laughs> no idea. Uh, but we ran it for for 27 years. Okay. And, you know, it was a great event. Same thing. I mean, we even had people from Louisiana coming up and going to the ball. Well, I know people used to get rooms a year in advance for that, and they would, all the hotels in the area would be sold out because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a really, really popular event. Um, we'd have the Chili Brothers coming in and, and sell food there. Um you know, and it was a, it's a great venue. It, it had, we would sell tables of 10 and we'd sell like 60 tables of, of people. And we had tables down on the, the veranda up in the balcony, but we kept the floor wide open and turned, you know, we wanted it to be a big dance. Well, Rhodes, that's the history of Rhodes. It's a big dance hall. It's a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful old dance hall. And that's what it, it's one of the few venues around that was built for that, that still functions as a dance hall. And I don't think, I think yours was probably the last big event they had there, isn't it? I haven't really, I mean, they have bridal shows there now and, 
and that kind of convention kind of stuff, but I don't think they have any more big dances, do they? No, I think we were the last music uh, show to have that we had at that venue. Um, and, you know, I, I have to mention, too, that we did a lot of this in conjunction with VSA Arts and Janine Chartier. Right, right. And, you know, they've also been involved in, in Rhythm and Roots as well. So that that's, you know, it's great working with a nonprofit like that. Um, you know, we helped raise some money for them, and that was one of our ways of giving back. Right. I mean, there was so many aspects to the festival. It would take forever to, to list all of them. I mean, there's so many people involved, and, I mean, there were radio stations and TV stations and uh, workshops and performers and, you know, subcategories of things that went on. It's just, you know, it's it's just shame it's getting... It, it, it got canceled. I mean, we can hope for the best and hope that it comes back and hope that it comes back as what we know and love about the festival. So, Well, that, that's why I'm being very careful about uh, who I choose to do this and who I choose to sell it to is, is that, as I said, I want to keep the legacy that I established going. You know, and, and as you know, it, it's a big family undertaking for us. Well, it is. Your whole We're, family. I mean, the kids, the grandkids, everybody's been involved in that festival for years. Yeah, and, and that's part of, you know, part of the deal that I'm going to be making is that the family is still involved. And as I said, I'd, I'd be taking a role as a consultant, um, you know, in, in a place where there'd be a lot less stress. Somebody else can deal with all the logistics. Um, I'd still have a hand at booking the bands. So, you know, it's not like I'll be totally gone, but I'll pretty much be, be working like quarter time of what I used to be doing. Well, that would be much better. You're kind, you're kind yeah. of like Willy Walker of the festivals. you got it looking for the Charlie to take over. Only you could come up with an analogy like that. <laughs> that's that's Willy because Walker. I see you as Gene Wilder in a top hat dancing around and singing, Chuck. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, so... Yeah, you you envision me as giving candy to little kids. I do. That's 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 what I remember of. Will always remember of you. Yeah, I just need a white van, I guess. <laughs> so, is Lanyap Productions going to the the production company behind it? Are you going to phase out Lanyap and just, or are you going to keep that alive? Well, if you know, if these things work and I do stay, I, yeah, I keep the production company going. You know, it would just be at a much reduced level. Um, you know, I wouldn't be doing anything that I have done in the past. Um, as I said, it would just be a, a limited role. Yeah, Lanyap Productions did other things as well, too. But it just, you know, it's a non-profit organization, isn't it? No. Oh, is the festival non-profit no. yet? No. Oh, I thought you had gotten non-profit status for the festival. No. Oh. No, we've, we've always... I just... My attitude is I just hate working with boards. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is a pain. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm the type of person when I want to do something, I just want to go straight ahead and do it. I don't want to have to go to a group of people and say, "Well, this is this is what I want to do. This is what's going on." You know, to me, that's that just impinges and, and stops progress. You know, I'm the type of person who likes to move forward quickly and make my own decisions and. So I've, I've avoided the whole nonprofit status. Oh, I can understand it. Having having been there myself, I understand that. I just I just always was under the impression that it was nonprofit. No, I mean a couple of years it was. I mean we we definitely didn't make a profit on, on a few years. 
But uh, well, it's never. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you don't get into this for the money. It's not for the money because, like, unbeknownst to many people. The music business, this side of the music business, unless you're in the 1% of the music business, there's not a lot of money happening. No, like I said, I, I started, I got my feet wet in radio, and that turned me on to a lot of music. And I got involved in, in Cajun Bluegrass Festival, the old Berkshire Mountain Festival, which turned into Winterhawk. You know, I worked at those festivals, and it was the same thing. It, it was for the love of the music. And... I had a lot of opportunity to bring in some brand new music, um, introduce a lot of new artists to an audience. And that's the way I really like to do things. But then when I took over and, and, you know, was the sole owner of the festival, I really had to learn the business end of things. You know, I didn't have a background at all in, in business. So it was really hard for me to do that and, and to learn the ins and outs. But I had to learn the business part of it just to keep the festival alive. If, uh, you know, if you want it to continue, you're just going to have to have a business plan. You're going to have to focus more on, on finances and, and what's going on. Or otherwise, you know, the festival could disappear. Right. Well, it's just funny that, you know, most people, anytime you bring up anything music to people, they think it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's that's the impression that they always get. They just don't realize that it's that's the furthest thing from it. It's a lot of work and not a lot of money. It's just, it, you do it for the love. You do it because you want to see it happen. And it, you're not in it for the money because you very seldom see a lot of money from it. You, you, you know, you may get you may get some money from it, but, you know, if you ever figured out your hourly rate wage for what you put into it, you'd be shocked. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, it, it's it's the type of thing where people say, all right, you got this one weekend, you probably spend a month putting it on, you know, getting ready for it. But it's a year-round job. Right. Once the festivals are over, you have to spend time buttoning up the festival that just happened. At the same time that you're doing that, you're starting to phase yourself into next year's event so it just it, it's non-stop right and that's it a lot of yeah people don't understand that you they, know and any vacations that we took were all music oriented right you know all right and we got time off let's go somewhere all right let's go to festival acadienne in lafayette or let's let's go to a festival in california or hit a fest you know that that's what i ended up doing with with my downtime was going off to hear music or going to different conferences and and just searching out new music. Hmm. So now that you're you're phasing this out and you're gonna if if the festival continues you'll continue your your consulting part of it. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna be are you gonna kick back from everything but that? Are you planning on? Do you have? Uh, I I know when I told you about this podcast your ears kind of perked up a little bit about a podcast because of your radio days um is there anything like that in your future or are you just gonna take it as it comes now no I'm, as i said you know i'll take on this consulting role for a couple of years and and then just kind of walk away and and just concentrate on on the rest of my life and you know i've got nine grandkids and that's you know i'll move on to that they're all within five miles of my house so you know, we, we do have a lot of interaction. We get to see them quite a bit. That's that's kind of my boring future. <laughs> but I'll, I'll Trust take me, knowing you and your family, it will be anything but boring, Chuck. 
That, that's true. <laughs> that is true. So how does how does the family feel about you stepping back from this? Well, they're a hundred percent behind me. Uh, you know, I sat down with, with everyone um, and told them what my plans were, and you know, a couple of them, like like Drew and Jake jumped right up and said, okay, we'll take it over. Uh, we'll run it for you. You know, you just take care of the bands. We'll do the rest. But, you know, Drew's 22. Jake is 16. And Drew's got a full-time job. Jake's still in school. And they don't understand the ins and outs of what it is. I mean, I really appreciated their enthusiasm. Even Helena, who's seven, was, <laughs> keeps walking around and saying, she's going to run it. She's going to take over. That's and then funny. West. And then Weston, who's four, is saying, okay, well, I'll take care of the bouncy houses. <laughs> so, you know, the, the family's still invested in it at some point. But, uh, you know, I just had to say, look, you know, it, it's 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 time. It's time for me to, to stop doing what I've been doing. And, and they were all cool with the, with the whole idea. And, you know, they're, they're behind my decision. Well, hopefully we, we move on to a new generation of Rhythm and Roots and we can find somebody that takes over the festival and keeps it up to your standards and maintains something that's been around for a long time and makes a lot of people happy and makes you proud that it will continue. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to see it disappear, but I don't want to be the one in charge anymore. So, you know, it's time to turn the reins over. And, you know, I'm sure after I'm through consulting and, and putting my input into the mix, that, yeah, it'll it'll be different. They'll, they'll somebody else will put their stamp on it, and uh, like I said, that's that's what I'm looking for. Somebody who'll do that, but won't take it out too far in the wrong direction. Right. All right. Well, anything else you want to throw in there for folks to know before we wrap this up? Because I'm sure there's a lot of things you'd like to say to people. That's why I've offered you the chance to talk in the podcast because I know you sent out an email, but that. You know, you had such a personal connection with everybody that, you know, it, an email probably wasn't enough. So this is the, the opportunity for you to say your piece from your own lips instead of just words. So is there anything else you want to add before we end? No, I, I just, you know, want to thank people for all the support over the years. You know, we've, we've gotten tremendous support on so many levels. And um, just so for, for everybody who's who's been part of it, I mean... We've had just such a great crew, a uh, bunch of crew chiefs and our staff, and the volunteers have just been amazing. You know, we, we have like 350 to 400 volunteers to help make this festival happen, and we couldn't do it without all those people. And, you know, they say it takes a village, and uh, I may be the village idiot, but, <laughs> you know, I, I've had such great support from these people. And, and I, I'm just really beholden to them for, for everything they've done. Well, the festival is does become a town for a weekend. I mean, there's there's that aspect to it. So there is a village, and it did take a village to run this. And you were the, you were the mayor of that village, and now your term is over, and we've got to move on to somebody else, unfortunately. Yep. Yep. And we'll miss you. We will miss having you as that, and hopefully somewhere down the line, the Rhythm and Roots Festival comes back, and we 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 see Chuck around still for a long time to come. Well, I've made that part of the deal that I've I've proposed is that you know I get lifetime admission to the festival for for myself and the family, and uh, that I get a golf cart. That's that's part of the deal. <laughs> you have to throw that in. 
at that festival, a golf cart is is important. There's a lot of lot of territory to cover there. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you very much for chatting, and uh, we'll wrap up the conversation. And uh, hopefully, we'll 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 all stay in touch. The fam, the Rhythm and Roots family, will stay in touch over the years, no matter what happens, because it, it, there were a lot of good friendships and that evolved over the years. So. Yeah, I'm hopeful that it has a lasting impact, which I'm I'm fairly sure it has. And you know, we've we've had weddings there, and and probably a lot of kids were were conceived there. Uh, <laughs> you know, sure it's some, it's got got that whole family vibe to it. It does. All right, Chuck. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Okie dokie. Thanks to Chuck Wentworth for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, and the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.